morning. So we normally preach through books of the Bible here. We've been preaching through the book of Proverbs, and actually, um, that was supposed to extend into this week. Um, and, and so normally we're preaching through books, or we stop intentionally with a plan to, to break, to, to focus in on a topic, but sometimes God leads us to shift those plans as we seek Him and pursue what He has for us as a church, and, and so today we've, we've shifted gears, and um, this is already something that was laying on my heart. I was processing with Matt as we were approaching this last weekend in July, and then last Sunday came, and Jake shared about the importance of the heart in the book of Proverbs and tuning our heart rightly. As, the, as he gave that incredible illustration about the, the use of a guitar and how our hearts are made by God as an instrument as well, and they need to be tuned rightly. And so hopefully you were here and you got to be a part of that, but if not, the, the importance of having our heart tuned in to what, what God has for us rather than what the world has and the importance that, that if we don't tune our hearts to the right things, then that we're not going to be able to resound in the kind of ways that God has intended for us to. So this week we got to sing where that, uh, the song where that line comes from, tune the come thou fount, where it says, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And so this message God was already laying on my heart to preach, and, and as Jake preached that, it only confirmed that man, this is what we need. As we go into this season, we're about to go into retreat next week, as Matt was talking about, and then we're going to have a couple of weeks of looking at the vision and mission of Anthem Church. All of it's going to be centered around where are we going as a church? How do you get involved? What are we going to do for God's glory to build up this body of believers and to reach Columbia and to the ends of the earth? And so as we begin to look towards those things and we get serious about what we need to be doing week in and week out to help people know, love, and obey Jesus so that the restless might find renewal in Jesus Christ, as we look towards that, we first really need to tune our heart rightly to why we would do those things. We need to tune our heart to the grace of God so that we would sing out, so that we would proclaim the good news about Jesus, so that it would flow from us rather than just being a duty. We need to tune our heart to the right why, because the why matters. Why we do what we do matters. If I was to bring flowers home to my wife, Becca, um, and um, it was merely out of duty, though she didn't know that, I was, you know, I just greet her at the door with a, you know, bouquet of flowers. Usually, um, I, you know, we don't spend a lot of money. I go to Walmart um, and get some flowers, and they tend to last. But um, and and yet, no matter like whether I spend a bunch of money or a little bit of money on flowers, um, it's it's really the heart that matters to her, right? It's the heart. If, if I step in and and I'm just doing it out of duty or guilt. Even if she doesn't know, does that really matter, though? Does that really matter? If she never knows. If she thinks it's just out of an abundance of love and an infatuation with her, and yet I'm just doing it because, well, hey, this is what good husbands do, right? If she feels love, does it matter? If it's coming from a place of duty and guilt or love and enjoyment? Well, the why does matter. And I think we all naturally know that. I saw many of you shaking your heads just now. We, we, we get that the why matters. And in part, the why matters because pressure undermines a weak why and a weak motivation. 
Why matters because weak whys, weak motivations lack sustainability. If I'm just doing it out of duty, eventually I'm going to stop doing it. If I'm just doing it out of guilt, eventually it's, I'm just not going to do it anymore. It lacks a beauty to it as well, right? Yes, there's, there, there is some measure of beauty in simply getting my wife flowers. But there is a much greater beauty in getting her flowers because I'm deeply in love with her. And so weak wise lack sustainability. They lack a beauty. And let's be real. When it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to being on mission for Jesus, living out what we're called to live out in the life of the church, Fear will always overcome duty or guilt. Fear of what others think, fear of failure, fear of all kinds will overcome our duty and guilt. And so as we think about today, why do we evangelize? Why do we help people to know, love, and obey Jesus? Why would we go out on mission? We need to consider why deeply. And we don't just need to be, settle for duty and guilt We need to go to the most excellent way. So when we look at the book of Philippians in these short verses this morning, what we see here in this text is Paul's big point is that whatever you do, just share the gospel. Whatever you do, just share the gospel. If we look at this text, what Paul's saying is that, hey, you know, the why, yeah, it matters, but ultimately, just share the gospel. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, not with right reasons, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, there's one sense in which the why doesn't matter. Like, we're called to this. Why evangelize? Paul's saying, just do it. Just do it. Any reason at all. Like, one, because it's commanded. It is commanded. It is a duty that we have. In submission to our God and our King, it's commanded. We have the Great Commission passages that we talk about here, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go make disciples. You're called to this mission. It is a command from your King. And we see every single gospel has ends with Jesus giving this clear sending of his people, a clear command to go and tell. And the book of Acts begins with it as well. And so at a very base level, yes, like we evangelize because it's commanded. We share the gospel because it's commanded. But we often give great lip service to the authority of God's word at Anthem Church. Southern Baptist churches in general. And we love to talk about the ways that the world and even other Christians fail to submit to God's word in areas that honestly come easy to us. But how often do we fail to take the intentional steps to submit ourselves to God in the areas that are hard to us? And so yes, there is a more excellent way than mere duty, and yet at the very base of it, we are to submit to our king. We are to follow him. And to take seriously this call to go and make disciples, to help people know, love, and obey Jesus. Not only, though, is it commanded, and so we should just do it, but but it's needed. It's necessary. 
Why do we evangelize? Because it's necessary. If we turn with me to, to Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 17. We're going to read that in a moment as you're turning. It'll also be on the screen. But we see the necessity of this mission. Look, as we continue to feel the ongoing effects of COVID and supply chain issues that have come from that and um, inflation that's going crazy as a, as a result, we, we, we look around and we see the importance of supply chain, right? People's livelihood relies on this complex system that can be paralyzed by any kink in the chain. It started at the beginning of COVID with toilet paper and now it's much more serious with like baby formula and food getting to people around the world. See, businesses and consumers are all feeling the ramifications of the failure to deliver materials and products from one step to another, and the significance of just one little kink in the chain. But here's the reality. When we look at Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17, we recognize that there's a much bigger supply chain that's much more important, that has much more significance, has eternal ramifications, and that we're a part of that supply chain. Starting in verse 13 of Romans 10, Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God. That's good news. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith, or the calling on the name of the Lord, comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ being preached. And here's the reality. What we just heard a moment ago in the Great Commission passages, we are sent. It says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, guess what? Every one of you who has followed Jesus, who has repented and believed in the good news of the gospel, has been sent. In fact, John's gospel, the very end of that one, the great commission in that gospel, Jesus says, even as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. We are a sent people. We are a sent people. And we're, so we've been sent to preach and in order for people to have faith in Jesus, someone has to proclaim the word of Christ so that they can hear and call upon him. No, we can't control whether they actually call upon him or not, but we are. We are the one potential kink in the supply chain. But Jesus came, he died so that all people might have a chance at repentance. He died. He provided the way for salvation. It's not a way of us working ourselves back to God, but it's a way in which what he did on the cross when he died for our sins, he took our place and he provided enough abundant grace in that, an infinite source of grace that if, if people trust in him, there is more than enough grace to cover the most heinous of sins, the most vile of us, of which I am the greatest sinner. And so... We've got to recognize like we are the potential kink between that supply of God's grace and the world that does not know it and needs it desperately. We're the kink. Whether we proclaim that gospel or not, Paul is saying we need to feel the weight of that because it's necessary. 
God has chosen to involve us in the way that he was going to bring salvation to the world. He chose that. That we get to be involved in this. Like I'm not, I'm not just preaching this so that, that we can feel weighed down with guilt this morning, but so we can recognize the incredible purpose that we've been invited into. But it's a necessary purpose. It's a necessary task that we have. Penn and Teller, the, the magicians, you may have seen this YouTube. It's, this clip's been around for a long time. But, but Penn and Teller, um, one time, uh, nobody talks a lot, so Teller, uh, the big guy, uh, he, he was processing one time um, how a, a guy had come up to him after um, one of his shows uh, to, to share the gospel with him. And he was reflecting on that. Teller's a, a staunch atheist. He, he does, not, uh, does not have any interest in God or the gospel. Um, and yet he didn't respond with some vitriolic response in his reflection. But his reflection rather was, was look, I do have to admire this person because if he believes what he says he believes, that apart from trusting in Jesus, that you're going to spend an eternity in hell under punishment from God, then how much do you have to actually hate a person not to tell them about Jesus? It's coming from an atheist. We need to feel the weight of that. When it comes to why we should evangelize, we need to know it's commanded of us. And it's necessary if people are going to come to faith in him, if the restless are going to find renewal in Jesus, if they're going to stop trying to make their way to heaven and work their way there and find true rest and peace and salvation in Jesus, it requires us getting to work. It requires us proclaiming this good news. We are the gospel supply chain. And so why do we evangelize? Why do we go on mission? Because evangelism is commanded and necessary. However, if we are simply driven by duty or guilt, our commitment to evangelism will falter. As with anything we do in the Christian life, there is a better way. There is a better way. Now take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because in, this, in, in chapter 12, Paul is, is unpacking spiritual gifts and how the gifts of the body are to build up the life of the church and that ultimately he comes to, to the end of that argument and he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts that, that will build up the body in, 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 in a significant way. And yet he says, but I will show you a still more excellent way. And this principle can be applied both to how we use our spiritual gifts for the good of the body and for how we use those gifts to take the gospel to the world. That it's not just about the power of our gifts or the way we use our gifts, but it's the heart of from, from which that flows. And Paul says, to end chapter 12 and then flowing into chapter 13, he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. Better than duty or necessity. He says, if I, spend, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, 
but have not love, I gain nothing. The still more excellent way that Paul presents to us is that of love. That love would be what drives us. Not duty or guilt. Not so that we can see um, this church grow. Not so that we can, you know, hear our name praised in the community because, oh, they're doing so many good things. But for the love of God and the love of people. Love is number one. In fact, this is where this is what um, Paul mentions in, in the passage in the book of Philippians that we started with. It says, Some preach Christ from rivalry, envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. And he is acknowledging the goodness of that in this passage. It's implied. Though he's saying, Hey, I don't care. Like, as long as the gospel is being preached, at the end of the day, I don't care. But he is acknowledging the goodness and the beauty when that flows from love rather than mere duty or guilt or some other twisted, distorted motive. Love is number one. In fact, that's what Jesus says. The two great commands are this. Love the Lord your God with all your strength and with all your heart and with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the the most excellent way forward for us as a church, the most excellent why for what we do as a church better be love. And it is love. So why, do, why evangelize? Why be on mission? First off, a love for people. A love for people. Why should we love people, though? Well, one, God made them. God made them. Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 27 says this. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Why should we love people? Because God made them. God made each and every one of us. Every person from the womb to the tomb bears God's image. And because of that, we all have dignity and value. We all have dignity and value. It's like when an artist, like Picasso, for instance, put, places his signature on a painting. All right? It, it, it's clear then that this is Picasso's work, right? And the value skyrockets when he puts that signature on there. In addition to it merely just being his work, he's putting his signature on it. And in a similar way, just as that, that painting's value skyrockets in a far greater way, bearing the image of God means every human being is priceless. Priceless. Not only do we have the signature of God, but we are there reflecting who he is to the world around us. Even though it's distorted and marred by sin, like we have incredible value. Every human being you meet has incredible value in the sight of God because he created them. He created them and he loves them. He loves them. He loves them so much that number two, the reason we should love people is because Jesus died for them. I know these are simple truths, but we need to be reminded of these things in order to tune our heart rightly to sing his grace. Why should we love people? Not only because God made them, but also because Jesus died for them. 1 Timothy 
chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, says this. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, and get this, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus died to make salvation possible for every human being. Salvation costs us nothing because it cost him everything. Look, because of our sin, we, humanity was made into God's image, placed into this world that God called good. And it was good. And then we chose to go our own way, to be kings of our own lives. That's what sin is all about, is that we've rejected the authority of God and we've gone our own way. We've thought, I can do it better than God. And because of that, we've been separated from God. And that's actually a grace in and of itself. Because a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. We deserve the just wrath of God. And yet, rather than merely wipe us out, as would be his just righteous act to do, he sent his son to take on our consequences. He sent his only son. He loved us so much that he sent his son so that whoever believed in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life in him. And Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He went to the cross and he died the death that you and I deserve. And I'm not just talking about a physical death here. We think about the cross and we think of the, the horrors of the physical death that he died, the blood that he bled, the pain that he felt, but it's the spiritual death, the spiritual weight and wrath that God poured out upon him in our place. Like That's the, the, the actual cost of the cross, where Jesus cries out at the end, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he is feeling the weight of the separation that you and I deserved for all of eternity. And he took that on himself. And he rose from the dead to prove that what he did on the cross can provide the forgiveness we need. It can provide the life that we need, the power that we need, and the good news that we need. Jesus did it all. And salvation costs us nothing because it cost him everything. We should love people because Jesus died for them. Growing up, I collected basketball cards, uh, football cards, baseball cards, kind of all, all kinds of cards, Pokemon cards. All right. Um, I don't still have those. My little brother stole them. Um, but, but I do still have my basketball cards, all right? And they're all set back uh, in a storage, a bunch of storage bins um, that take up far too much room in our house right now. Um, but uh, they're there one day for my boys. Um, and I used to get those, uh, those magazines that would tell you like how much the cards were worth. You know, you could look up the year and the, the type and, and find that card and find out how much it's worth. And most of them were worth like five cents, right? Um, and so, but I would get really excited when I would find like a Kobe Bryant rookie card, all right? And I would, I would go to my dad and let's say, look, like this card is worth like $125. And I would be so excited. I'm like, I'm going to get two video games out of this card, right? Um, and then my dad would, would put his arm around me and say, hey man, that's great. But here's the deal. It's only worth what someone else will pay for it. 
Like that book, that book is great and it may give you an idea of what it's worth, but here's the reality. That card's only worth how much some guy at a flea market or elsewhere is going to pay for it. So that was a real bummer to me. Like I was always like really depressed after those conversations. And he had to have it with me multiple times. Um, a slow learner, all right? But do you realize what that means for us as human beings and for the people you interact day in and day out with at work? Like, if something has value based on how much someone is willing to pay for it, think about what that means. Because God sent Jesus, his only son, to take our place. That's how much God was willing to pay for it. That's how much Jesus was willing to pay for you and for me and for every person that's ever existed and that you could possibly rub shoulders with, that you could possibly pass on the street. Jesus loved them so much. He values them so much that he was willing to pay that for you and me. We should love people because that's how much God values people. Not only did he make us in his image, but he also gave his very life for us. People are worth it. They're worth the cost of this mission. They're worth the cost of taking the gospel to those that will likely reject us. They're worth the cost of what it's going to take to give up our time and our, our resources and, and, and to sacrifice our comfortability for the good of those who don't yet know Jesus because he laid it all down for them. Will we not be willing to lay down some time and some rejection for them as well. People are worth it. But our love for people may falter. I mean, I mean, here's the reality. People are difficult to love. It's easy to forget those things in the moment. We get betrayed by people. We encounter hard-hearted people that reject us. People can be spiteful. People are difficult to love. So I want to show you a still more excellent way than even a love for people. The most excellent way, which is a love for Jesus. A love for Jesus. More than anything else, what must drive our evangelism, what must drive our mission and vision here at Anthem Church is a love for Jesus. Back in the book of Philippians, this is what we see Paul being motivated by above everything else. Yes, he affirms all the other motives we could possibly have, but he is driven by love for Jesus in everything he does. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether what they're doing is trying to, to make me suffer more or not, he says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice and he goes on to say, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, because his whole life was wrapped up in a deep, passionate love and enjoyment of Jesus. And so he was willing to give it all. In fact, he viewed dying as gain because he would get to be with his Savior. 
there would be no more suffering and no more separation from him in any manner. Everything Paul did was driven by love for Jesus. So much so that, that look, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15, I know we've gotten to a lot of text, but this one will be on the screen again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, Paul is unpacking the ministry of reconciliation that he's called to, this ministry of, of proclaiming the good news that we can be reconciled back to God. And this is what he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul was captivated by love for Jesus. A deep enjoyment of him. Not just mere duty, not just mere necessity, not just merely loving people, but a deep love for Jesus. And look, when we love something, we talk about it. We orient our lives around it. We invite others into it, right? But we certainly talk about it. Believe me, I know my six-year-old loves Sonic the Hedgehog, all right? You guys probably, half of you in this room know that he loves Sonic the Hedgehog because he's going to talk about it all the time, right? They're going to talk about all the characters. They're going to like, they're going to tell you all the things you just have utterly no interest in, right? Because how many of us really like Sonic the Hedgehog that much, all right? Here's the reality. When we love something, though, we will talk about it. It'll just overflow. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what you love will be exposed by what you talk about. A love for Jesus overflowing is what we're made for. And 1 Peter 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Proclaim his excellencies. It's what we're made for. as a love and an enjoyment of Jesus. And he deserves all of our love. That's the good news. Unlike people that are difficult to love, that'll spit in our face at times, that, that, I mean, honestly, we don't deserve the love of God, right? We don't deserve one another's love, right? But it, it's because God chose to love us even when it is undeserving, that we can love him and we can love others. Jesus deserves all of our love because he's amazing. I tried to think about, like, how to describe him to really begin to capture how amazing he is, how worthy he is of our utter enjoyment, of our lives being completely centered upon him in everything we do. And honestly, like, it just seems like every possible word I could come up with falls short, but, but we got to try. Jesus is amazing. He deserves every ounce of our love because he is love. In fact, we love because he first loved us when we were utterly unlovable, and his love never ends. Jesus is peace for the anxious. He's joy for the depressed. He's hope for the hopeless. He's friend to the lonely and the lost. He's strength to the weak and light in the darkness. He's our creator and our redeemer. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the resurrection and the life. 
And here's the best news of all. In all of that, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes, but he never gets old. Why evangelize? Why share this good news? Why be on mission in this way? Why do our, like, lay it all on the line, church, so that the restless would find renewal in Jesus, so that 1% of Columbia might know his goodness and his grace that don't already know him, so that, that every freshman on Mizzou's campus would get, have a chance to hear the good news about Jesus, so that one professor in every department at Mizzou might, might come to faith in Jesus and be following after him. Why, why do all of this? Why lay it on the line for that? Because Jesus is amazing and he is worth it. He is totally worth it. But we've got to ask ourselves this question. Are we actually amazed by Jesus? Are we amazed by his love for us? Are we truly in love with Jesus? Because I don't think you would argue with me on the things that I just shared about Jesus. But, but are we captivated like him? or by him like Paul was? Or are we bored with him? Much the root of our lack of evangelism and lack of mission as the people of God, not just at Anthem Church, but I believe in the church broadly, is because we're simply bored by Jesus. We're not deeply in love with him, and so out of the abundance of our heart doesn't come things about Jesus it comes things about sports and the weather and our work and our kids and, and our studies and what we hope and our aspirations and our dreams for our, our lives, the, the vacations we're going to take. And hey, I'm, like, I'm not saying this as someone judging you guys. I'm as guilty of this as anyone. The question we've got to ask ourselves is, are we actually amazed by Jesus' love for us or are we bored by him? Because if we're going to lay it on the line for him, the most excellent way is love for him and a love for people that flows from that. Because fear can and will overcome guilt. It can and will overcome duty and necessity, but perfect love, the love of Jesus for us and being captivated by that love, perfect love casts out fear. And so we've got to root our why in a love for people and most of all in a love for Jesus, our Savior and our King. But we don't just flip a switch in our hearts. It's not as easy as grabbing a guitar and tuning it, right? Wish it was. We have to keep our why before us day in and day out. Just like if, if you set goals for a year and you work really hard to set some really measurable, smart goals and all of that sort of stuff and you geek out on that kind of thing, you can spend a lot of time on it. I've done this. Spend a lot of time on setting these goals and then they're written down somewhere and I never see them the rest of the year. Like, like it's just, like, the goals aren't going to happen, right? I might get lucky on a couple of them, but, like, I'm not going to be reminded of them. I'm not going to, like, be consistently tuned back to those things. And so if we're going to have our hearts tuned to a love for Jesus that motivates us and propels us outward from this place, then we've got to regularly remember our why. And how do we do that? Three things. One, we've got to practice the presence of God. We've got to practice the presence of God. We've got to fall more in love with and confident in Jesus by simply being with him, by being with him daily. 
Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. God will bring himself glory, whether we join him in that or not. He will bring himself glory. But he invites us to be still and know that he's God. We've got to have a habit of being still in the presence of God if we're going to be amazed at Jesus. Being still in his word, being still, slowing down in the busyness of life and prioritizing this gathering on Sunday mornings, to be still with the people of God, beholding the goodness of God and the gospel of God. We've got we've to have these habits of stillness that, that look very different from the habits of the world that are just go, 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 me, 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 me. But rather, we've got to slow down and focus on someone other than ourselves, and that's Jesus. And so we've got to practice the presence of God daily and weekly, individually and as a people. We've got to be with Jesus. And then we've got to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to pray for God's perspective and for, for specific people in our lives. If we're going to cultivate a, a love for God, we've got to talk to him. All right? we've, got to, we've got to pour out our heart to him. All right? But then we've also got to pour out our heart for the people that we're encountering so that he can continue to stoke our love for other people, even when they're difficult to love. Because when you start to pray for someone, no matter how frustrated you are with them, it's a lot harder when you're sitting in the presence of God to be frustrated and angry at someone if you slow down to pray for them. And so we've got to be in the presence of God. We've got to pray in the presence of God. But then we just simply need to plan and practice the work of evangelism. We just need to simply do it. Like as we remember our why, as we come back to it regularly, day in and day out, then we just need to simply do it from that and trust that God will continue to, to remind us and fuel us by that why of love for him and a love for people. We've just got to get to work. We've got to go out and start sharing. And here's the deal. We're awkward at most things that we do for the very first time. All right? It goes for most of us, all right? Maybe you're one of those people that's just like, you just, you're, you're like, you know, you're good at everything you, you try your hand at. But I am not one of those people, okay? First dates were always awkward. You can ask Becca about our first date, all right? It was, I was in New York City, easiest place to plan a great date, all right? We had a great time, and then we go, and we're in a, a paddle boat in the thing, and I like try to splash her with this dirty lake water, and she's like, what in the world is this guy doing? All right, like, thankfully... Thankfully, God handled all that, all right, and uh, made her, well, she didn't really forget about it. But we're awkward at most things that we do the first time, all right, dating, kissing, like, just look, I'm the king of being awkward the first time I'm trying my hand at something. But when it's a calling so utterly essential like this, when it's something that, that we're captivated by Jesus and captivated by love for others, then we will do it. We will do it. And so we just need to be Intentional. All right, we need to make a plan as we're praying for specific people to go and do it, to go out of our way to make it happen, to have that conversation with that person that God's laid on your heart. And maybe you fumble through sharing the gospel. Maybe you fumble through and you, don't, you can't answer all of their questions. But guess what? The power is not in your ability to persuade people. The power is in the good news about Jesus. It's in his name. And so talk about the one that you know and love and share with as much as you can and trust the rest of God. Just start there. 
And yeah, you may be awkward, but who cares? You're talking about the one you love. So practice the presence of God, pray in the presence of God, and then plan and practice in the presence of God with others by just simply sharing the good news of Jesus. To wrap up, just want us to ask ourselves this question, why are we not evangelizing? Why are we not on mission? Do we really believe we're called and essential to the task? Is our love for people too limited? Or are we just bored with Jesus? Examine your heart today. And let us be a people that love Jesus and people so much that we scatter from this place for his glory and their good. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. God, you are worthy. You are worthy of all of our lives, as Paul had said. For to live is Christ, to die is gain. God, I pray that we would live that out. Lord, that we would be captivated by you, God, that you would take hold of our hearts, Lord. You would, you would push out distraction. You would push out other, other desires in our hearts, and that we would be so captivated by you that we would give up everything for your glory and the mission that you have called us to. God, may we be more in love with you than with ourselves or the things of this world. May we be known for that above all else in this city. That Anthem Church is a people who enjoy Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.